All right, so, whoa, I'm really loud. So I was thinking this week, doing some reflecting back, and um, I realized, do you know how I used to start every sermon? I used to start every sermon here by reminding y'all of something, or maybe informing you if you hadn't been here at all. It's this. It said, I love you, and I deeply care for you. And I don't know when I quit doing that, not loving and caring for you, because I still do that, all right? I don't know when I stopped reminding you all that, um, but I want you to know that it's, it's very true, and it has been all the years that we've got the privilege of serving here. So as we start, I love y'all, and I care deeply for you. And I'm thankful that we're not moving too far away, so um, we can randomly show up and surprise you, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Now that's enough of that. All right, now, as we start, I want you all to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you are part of a class, I don't care, high school, college, whatever, and that one day your teacher says, hey, we're going to go on a field trip, and we're going to go look at a statue. I don't care what statue you imagine in your mind, a statue of a person, okay? And they say, all right, now I want you to look closely and really like try to drink it all in, because I want you to write a paper, and I want you to describe in great detail like the features of this statue. Tell me, tell me all the things about it, but in doing so, you cannot use the word statue. Okay, I just want you to think, what, what words might you use instead? Maybe likeness, or a depiction, or a representation, or portrayal, or maybe an image. Today, that's the word I want us to focus in on, that word image. Because, think about that word, it can be used in different ways, can't it? Because sometimes we'll use it to describe like a picture or a statue or a photo, whatever the case may be. But sometimes we use that word image to describe like the perception of a person or maybe of a company. Right, like think, think about this example. Do y'all remember back in 04 when um, Morgan Spurlock made the documentary Supersize Me? You remember this, where this dude like, of his own free will decides that he will eat nothing but McDonald's for a month, right? Do you remember what it was like whenever that thing came out? It shows that this guy gains like 25 pounds in a month, 7% body fat, which is insane. That his cholesterol level rises and like you see his doctor like, will you please stop doing this? Like you're actually damaging your liver from too much McDonald's. Do you remember what happened to the public image of McDonald's? Like, dude, it taint bad. It was so bad, they're like, we should probably offer things like salad instead of, you know, ginormous buckets of fries instead. It did major damage to the public image of McDonald's. You know, this small example shows that the English language can be kind of funny sometimes, huh? Sometimes we see words and we're not sure exactly what the person is meant to communicate, like what the person's trying to communicate. Now, I think this is true in Genesis 1, which is where we'll be today, by the way. Because in Genesis 1, we find the account of God creating the world. And on the sixth day, we find him at the high point, the pinnacle, the crown jewel of all creation. And we find him creating people. And we see that God creates people different. He creates them special. He creates them in his image. Do you know, that's a phrase that I think for a lot of us, maybe even a lot of us who have been in church for a long time, we read that and we're not sure exactly what that means. Maybe some of us are like, I kind of have an idea, maybe. And maybe if some of us are honest, like, I don't know. I, I just
just don't know. But today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be made in God's image. And we'll see how the image was made, how the image was marred, and how the image is made new. My Baptist roots are coming out with all these M's. All right. That's what it is. All right. So we're going to look at three verses today. We're going to look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Will you follow along with me as I read? Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Friends, these are the words of God from the mouth of God, and he has given these words to us because he loves us, and these words we find are true. So in 1876, there was a French sculpture named Friedrich Auguste Bartholdi, and he began to work, to go to work on this famous statue. And 10 years later, on October 28, 1886, that statue would be completed. It would stand in all its glory, and it would be dedicated. And that statue is still there today, and it stands at a place called Liberty Island. We know the statue, right? This is the Statue of Liberty. And you know, I got to thinking about that statue, and it's like, I wonder how different it looks today than it did 137 years ago. Like, if every October 28th we were to take a picture and make a flip book out of it, like, how different would the first and the last picture be? Because the statue has undergone change. Did you know that Lady Liberty's torch is actually different. They've actually swapped it out, so that would be different. But the thing that we would notice more than anything else is its color, right? Because the statue's made of copper. So when it was first brought, it was this like reddish brown, you know, like copper color. But now what is it? It's like this funky green because it has been exposed to water and to air and it is oxidized. But you know, if we were to take a trip to Liberty Island this morning, a truth remains. Though it looks different, that's still the Statue of Liberty. It is still the work of Friedrich Auguste Bartholdi that we are there to admire. It is still the image that he created. You know, we find the work of another great creator in Genesis 1, the great creator. And we find him making the first people, find him creating Adam and Eve. And he tells us, I created them in my image. Y'all, Adam and Eve, they were pristine. They were untainted. Think about like the Statue of Liberty when it's first there, right? Like it's pristine, it's untainted, it's not oxidized, it's in its purest, purest form. That's what we find in Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve. They're created in his image, and God doesn't leave us to totally wonder what that means. Right away, he actually shows us. He shows us that this means that they were able to do things that other creatures couldn't do. They're given tasks to do that other creatures are unable to. You know, one of the things that God actually tasked tasked them with doing was to act as little kings. He said, go and image or reflect me. Be rulers in this place that I have put you. Now, I want you to think, what do kings do? Not bad kings. We don't care about them. I want you to just think, what do good kings do? 
Well, good kings make sure that laws are obeyed. They make sure that their people are protected and defended. They make sure that those in their kingdom and under their care have the things that they need. But you know what else good kings do? They actually identify other places where rule is needed. They identify places that need structure, and they identify people that need protecting, and they expand their rule out to those places. That's what good kings do. Whenever the good king and creator made Adam and Eve, he gave them an order. He gave them an objective. We often call it the creation mandate. It's what we find if you look in verse 28, where God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. He is telling them, y'all, go and reflect the work that I have done. Go, be little kings over the world. Go, have dominion or rule over the earth and over the animals. When he says, fill the earth and subdue it, you know what God is telling them? Go make the rest of the world like the garden you're in. Did anybody, does anybody else ever think about the way that God created the world and imagine that like before the fall, like it's all just pristine and beautiful? That's, a, that's what I always thought. But it's not totally true. Because if so, if, if that was so, then God wouldn't have to tell them, hey, go make the rest of the world like where you are. But that's part of the objective. He said, go and do that. Beautify the world and then sustain what you beautify. I don't know if beautify is a word, but it is now. And so they are rulers that are reflecting God in this way, but that's not all. He also says, be fruitful and multiply. He's like, y'all, as a married couple, go and create children. Fill the earth with other living, breathing statues, other image bearers of God. And just as God created and would rule over them, they were to image or reflect him by procreating and ruling. And he gives them another task as well. It's not in chapter 1, it's actually chapter 2. Verse 19, he tells Adam, hey, go name the animals. If you're familiar with uh, Genesis 1, the creation narrative, you know that it's full of a phrase like this. And God said, let there be, da-da-da-da, and there was. Like, in, starting in verse 3, he says, let there be light, and there was light. And then he calls the light day, and he calls the darkness night. Now he's like, hey, Adam, you know what I want you to do? I want you to use your speech, just like I did when I created. I want you to use your speech. Go reflect me. Use your words in a way that are creative and authoritative. Creative because you are making these words and authoritative because whatever he said that Adam, animal would be called, it matter-of-factly was. And in these specific jobs that God gave to Adam and Eve, it demonstrated how they were created in his image. But it goes beyond just the tasks that they were given. It wasn't just evidenced in like physical things, but even the parts of them you couldn't see. Whenever you think about being created in the image of God, like, what does that mean to you? I'll tell you what it used to mean to me, especially when I was a kid. I thought it meant whenever I looked in the mirror that what I saw staring back at me, like, that somehow God must look like this. You know, like arms, legs, probably a smaller head that was more proportioned to his body. But, like, this is kind of what I imagined this meant. But, you know, in places like John 4, we read that God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body and parts like ours, so this can't be true. It must mean something else. It is seen in the tasks that they're given, but it's also in the fact that they're intellectual creatures. They have the ability to reflect and decide and to learn and to know and to reason and to exercise judgment and use moral senses. Their intelligence was superior 
and unlike anything else in all of creation. And in all these ways, they image, they show what it meant to be made in the image of God. But do you know what really set them apart? And friend, what sets you apart? It's the fact that you're a spiritual being. It's the fact that you have the ability to relate with God. We see that Adam and Eve did this when they were in the garden. They talked with God. They spent time with Him. And in all these ways, they're reflecting, imaging, showing what it means. They're showing in some way, and to different degrees, like this is what God is like. They'd never possess all the attributes that God did. They would never possess Him to the same degree. But you know what? They did possess them in a way that's superior to any of us. Do you know why that is? It's because they weren't tainted by sin like we are. But Genesis 3 tells us all that changed. And the way they were created to reflect God, it would undergo change. It would become tainted. Think tainted, like the Statue of Liberty right now. It's all oxidized and stuff. Their image was tainted. And when God put them in the garden... Gave them one prohibition. It's like, y'all, you got one thing. Don't do this one thing. You ever had a parent or a boss tell you, don't do the one thing? Like Beauty and the Beast, it's like, you can go anywhere but the West Wing. What's in there? It's forbidden, right? Like, and what does she want to do? She wants to go on the West Wing. Just so you know, that's not in my notes. Like Disney is that far ingrained in here. But like, you've been there, right? Like there's always been the one thing you can't do. Like for me, I remember when I was in like mid-school, I think, my mom comes to me one day, like when the first Harry Potter movie's coming to theaters, she's like, just so you know, you can't go watch the Harry Potter movie. Here's the thing, I didn't care. I had not asked. I had plenty of trouble being accepted by people already. I did not need to add to my nerddom by going and watching the wizard movie, right? Like, I just didn't care. But as soon as she said, you can't do it, guess what I wanted to do? go watch the Harry Potter movie. And like any good church kid, here's what I did. I wrote my youth pastor into taking me. (laughs) Oh, it's true. But so you know, I came clean to my parents like last year. (laughs) Seriously. It's the one thing. Adam and Eve, don't do the one thing. You get to eat from all the other trees. You get to not eat from this one. didn't go so well. And immediately, as they eat from the fruit, something happens to the image that they were created in, something they were not capable of fixing. Before this moment, you have to think, there's no sin in the world. Now, this is an unimaginable thought. Like, as you try to imagine a world without sin, you're actually not able to. Because your thinking is so broken by your sin, you actually can't imagine what that's like. It's like trying to imagine what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. Whatever you think, no matter how lofty it seems, it pales in comparison. But this is a world that they knew. They had been placed in this perfect world. They had been created perfect in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. They weren't tainted by sin, but in a moment, they, along with everything else that had been made good, was suddenly corrupted. And from that moment on, their thinking and their actions would be contaminated by sin. And it would actually limit their ability to be the many kings that God had created them to be. And it's because of their disobedience that today you and I are very different from the way they were in the garden. And Romans 5 tells us something. It tells us that sin came into the world through Adam and that his sin has brought something to you. 
It has brought death to you. It has brought death to us all. And because of their sin, the image of God in man was damaged. And that's the image that you and I now have. An, an image that is cracked or damaged, or we might say marred. So, there's a Bible teacher that I really like. Her name's Jen Wilkin. She wrote the book, actually, on the back table. And she tells a story in one of her books in different places. Um, she's like, so I went to like a flea market or an antique store, one of those places where you go to buy other people's junk. And she said she's walking through there, and this vase catches her eye. She's like, my favorite color is green, and the vase is green. Uh, the shape of it's beautiful. Like I, she's like, I was just drawn to it. She picks it up, sees it costs 10 bucks. She's like, I can afford 10 bucks. So she checks it over for cracks and for chips and defects. She doesn't find any defects, but on the bottom she does find uh, like raised letters. It's the name of the person who had made it. She's like, all right, the thing looks good. It's only 10 bucks. So you know what she does? She sticks it in her purse and she steals it. No, that's not true. Jen Wilkin would not steal things. She loves Jesus and stuff. No, she pays the 10 bucks like she's supposed to, right? And she goes home and she does what normal people nowadays do and she Googles the name that's on the bottom of the vase. And she finds that her vase she'd only spent 10 bucks on was actually worth like $40. She's like, this is a win all the way around. So she fills the vase with water, cuts some flowers out of her garden and displays it. She's like, it instantly becomes like her favorite thing in the house. Keeps flowers in it all the time, displays it everywhere. And we might say her relationship with the vase was good, but there was a problem. Jen had four young children at the time. And so everybody knows where this is ultimately going, right? And so one day they're playing a game in the house that involves a ball of some kind. Of course, the vase gets broken. She's like, now the vase isn't shattered. She's like, it's pretty busted up, but like it's, it's in a manageable number of pieces. So she glues it back together, fills it with water, and puts flowers in it. But she said, slowly but surely, the water would begin to run down the sides of the vase. Now, I want you to think about that vase. After she glued it back together, was it still a vase? Could it still hold flowers? Could she still display it as a piece of art in her home? Sure, all those things are true. It's not like it stopped being a vase after it was glued back together, but it was no longer able to function in the same capacity that it once had. And friends, whenever we think about the image of God that you and I are created in, it's much the same way. You know, every person that's ever lived is created in God's image. But it's different for us than it was for Adam and Eve because our image is marred or cracked or distorted. I want you to think about how does this work when it comes to our intellect? I mean, haven't you ever, I mean, you're able to think and reason and make judgments, but I mean, like, haven't you ever been, haven't you ever thought wrongly about something? Haven't you ever tried to reason your way through a problem and just got stuck somewhere in the middle? Haven't you ever made a judgment call and looked back only to see that, oh, you should have went the other way on that one? It's just showing evidence of the way that your intellect is it's damaged by sin. Think about how this works when it comes to our spiritual lives. Like, you and I are created to have a relationship with God because it's how every person is created. But if you're honest, friend, do you ever feel confused about what a relationship with God is supposed to look like? Like, do you ever wonder at 2 o'clock on an average Tuesday afternoon, like, what exactly does that mean for me right now? 
And what am I supposed to be doing in this relationship? Or maybe you're not a Christian. And do you ever wonder, like, what do these fools mean when they say relationship with God? Like, you can't see him. You can't, like, write a letter and get one in return. Like, you can't pick up the phone and call him. How do you have a relationship with someone that you can't see or audibly talk to? Y'all, we see evidence of our broken image bearing everywhere. Like, whenever we use our speech that God has given us to hurt other people, or whenever we do things that are morally opposed to what God has told us in his word, or whenever we actively destroy instead of create things. You know, some of the ways that I think we see most clearly evidence that our image is broken is the way that we treat other people, the way that we treat other image bearers of God. You know, maybe part of the reason this happens is because we actually fail to think in this way. We fail to see ourselves and other people as that, image bearers of God, living, breathing statues that God himself has created, has intricately woven together and placed in the world for a purpose. We may fail to see ourselves and other people in that way, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Every person, Christian or not, and regardless of age or stage in life, all created in God's image. That means that all people, regardless of their age or their race or their gender or their social status or their disabilities, all image bearers, and that means something, friends. It means that they are inherently valuable. They are of infinite value. And they're beautiful. And they deserve your respect and dignity. You know, this doesn't just apply to people that are in their prime. This applies to, well, even the unborn. And we know that because of the way God talks about them in places like Exodus 21, where he says if someone kills a child, if someone makes a woman miscarry, that person is to be treated as a murderer. Go read the Old Testament, how God says to deal with murderers. It's not just the unborn, it's not just children or people in their prime, it's even old people. Mark 7, Jesus calls out some religious elites. He's like, y'all have failed, you have sinned because you haven't taken care of your aging parents. The Bible goes to great length to show us that all people, all life, womb to tomb, is precious to God and therefore should be precious to us. Because even though the image of God has been cracked, it is not destroyed. Y'all know what Jen Wilkin did with that green vase after it was all busted up but repaired? She kept it. She displayed it in her home. She said, I love it, whether it's broken or not. Friend, that's what God says about you. He loves you, broken or not. He looks at us, and even though we are broken by sin, we are still his creation, and therefore we are inherently and infinitely beautiful and valuable. Y'all, is that how you see other people? It's easy to see people we like in this way, right? It's even sometimes easy to see people that we're kind of indifferent to. It's like, yeah, sure, they can have that. What about people you don't like? What about people that you cannot stand? What about people that have done something against you? Do you still see them in that way? They're infinitely valuable and that they are actually beautiful? What about people that you think are ugly? Physically ugly, 
ugly attitude, ugly personality, whatever. Ugly in all the senses. What about people that are like that? Do you see them in that way? What about people that suffer from mental or physical handicaps? What about people that aren't able to care for themselves? Are they valuable? Are they beautiful? What about you? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself being infinitely valuable and beautiful? Or if you're honest, do you look at yourself and see something that you hate? Do you look at yourself and think, I'm ugly and I'm worthless? And do you look at yourself and say, everything about you brings me shame? You know, it's all a lot of people, maybe some of us in this room, feel that way and would never say it and do everything we can to hide it. If you're honest, is that you? Whenever we have a low view of ourselves or of other people, it's showing that we don't see people for what they, what we really are. Broken yet priceless. Y'all, it's not me saying this. This is what the God of the universe who has made people says about us. And even though we don't reflect God as Adam and Eve originally did, we still bear his image. And we, like them, have a hope for the image of God being restored and perfected and made new in us. So a few years ago, a friend of mine bought an old Chevy Nova, uh, which if you don't know what that is, just an old car. All right? And he has, he has a weird obsession with him. It was his first car ever. He had, drove it whenever he was back in high school, back when he thought he was cool. He wasn't cool then either. But like he thought he was, and so like this car like let him relive his glory days. But the Nova that he found, like, is pretty rough, all right? Like, the body was, like, all rusted out. Like, some of the panels were painted different colors. Like, the engine like, didn't run. Like, it was even missing some pieces. The interior was all, like, cracked and weathered and ripped up. But because of his weird obsession, he's like, I want that. So he puts it on a trailer, takes it home, puts it in the shop, and begins to go to work. He would work on the work on the thing like on the weekends and in the evenings he'd buy parts he needed he would restore salvageable aspects of it and it took him a long time but over time he actually transformed that car not just into one that would start and run but like it was really nice pristine good paint job it ran beautifully it sounded great and as he began to drive that car around town people could then begin to see what he always knew was there a beautiful machine that just needed restored. Something that was once beautiful that just needed made new. Friends, you know, that's what the Bible says Jesus does for Christians. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that for all those who put their faith in Jesus, our image is being transformed from one degree of glory to another, to be more like Him. And the New Testament tells us what this image is like. Colossians 1.15 tells us Jesus is the image of God. Hebrews 1 tells us He's the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of His nature. Y'all, if you're a believer, this is who you, you right now are being made more like. Our image is cracked and marred and distorted, but it is being transformed and changed into what God originally created it to be. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God came to them and He made them a promise. 
It wasn't just for them. It was for all the creation that had also suffered from their decision. He said, I'm going to send a Redeemer to crush sin and Satan. And at the cross, this is what Jesus does. He keeps that promise the Father had made thousands of years before. And what God was promising them was, hey, I'm going to fix all that sin has broken in you and in the world. I'm going to restore the image of man that you have broken by your sin. And in the life of a Christian, this is what he is constantly doing. And we see evidence even of this happening. We see evidence of this, and we reflect the image of God more as we grow in love and holiness and goodness and mercy and faithfulness, and as we learn and understand how to better exercise the dominion and care that God has entrusted to us. And even though this work is never completed this side of glory, God gives us another promise in Philippians 1.6, my favorite verse in all of Scripture, which says, He who began a good work in you, Christian, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That means if you're a believer, one day you will get to see the image of God perfectly represented in you. What a great hope and promise we have. Though all people are created in the image of God, we as believers... And we have a hope that others don't have. Because only when you surrender yourself to Christ, the true King, does He begin to transform and restore you as He intended you to be. Friend, is this the hope you're clinging to? Are you looking for evidence of this restoring work going on? And as you go through life, are you treating other image bearers of God, even those you don't like, as though they are of infinite value and beauty? And are you seeking to care for the things that God has placed on your, under your dominion? As we close, I want us to think about this. Think about the storyline that stretches across all of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. I want you to think about that storyline because it applies to all things, even the image of God in man. It was created pure and sinless. But sin came and broke or cracked the image. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, that work of redemption is now underway. And it is seen every moment as the image is being actively renewed in believers. And one day that work of restoration will be complete. And the image that you and I possess, you know, it'll be even better than it was in Eden. That's a hope that we have for this life. And it's a hope that we get to look forward to for all eternity. Friend, I encourage you to look forward to that day. Imagine what it might be like and be actively at work, participating in this work of restoration that our God is doing in us. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Um, We thank you that you indeed are at work in us. We pray that you might um, begin even today to reshape our thinking. God, let us not just see people as people. Let us truly see others and even ourselves as what you say we are, image bearers of you. That we indeed are like living, breathing statues in the world that you have uniquely created. God, (laughs) you are showing your attributes in each of us. Pray that we might come to appreciate them in ourselves and in those that you bring into our lives.
God, thank you for your ongoing work. Let us be active in it. Give us hearts that desire to see it. God, let us look forward to that great day when we will dwell with you for all eternity with unveiled faces. Oh, let us, let us cling to that hope. God, now we pray that you would set these elements aside and let us be reminded that it is because of the work of Christ that this work of restoration is, in, is going on in us even now. We bring all this before your throne, great King of the universe, in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So clear, he says he is the exact imprint.